Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. All right, another day, some more chisme and some more wine, of course. <laughs> Today, my guest is Karina Mora. Mora, excuse me. Karina, how are you today? I am good. I am coming from Chicago. And so we had like a winter storm today. It started snowing midday and like everything this evening was canceled. So I'm cold, but I'm drinking some red wine to warm me up. I'm not going to complain that you're drinking red wine because I'm always drinking wine. Some, you know, I don't probably drink as much as people think that I drink because obviously for the podcast, I drink every podcast, but usually I have a glass of wine and oftentimes I don't finish the bottle because I have to make dinner after this or have to do this or, you know, and I'm not always up for a whole bottle of wine, but I'm always down for a glass at least. <laughs> yes, same. Well, speaking of what kind of wine are you? I know you said you're drinking red wine. What kind of red wine are you drinking tonight? So my favorite wine to drink is Pinot Noir. And so this one is from California, 2020. And, you know, I don't know much about wine, but I, I usually pick the wine based on the label. A and lot so of this, do. yes. And so this one is Incarnadin, I think. Maybe I'm saying it in Spanish and it's not supposed to be in Spanish. But <laughs> it has a bear riding a bicycle and I think it's the cutest thing. I uh, love it. I'm actually drinking a Pinot Noir tonight as well. Um, I have Armitage Wines. They've actually sponsored this. This is not a sponsored one, but they've sponsored the podcast before. And it's a 2018 Pinot Noir from the Santa Cruz Mountains. This is their like, oh, here, I'll show you their label. Oh, yeah. It's very like they are very like with the earth. It's very it feels very like spiritual very like one, right? One with the earth, with the everything. So, well, Karina, salud. Salud. Nice, nice. So actually, okay, I want you to smell your wine before you drink it. Smell your wine and tell me what you smell. I smell some. And it's not going to be wrong because it's what you smell. So it's not anybody else. Cherry. And maybe a little bit of uh, like nuts. Okay. And now swirl it a little bit. And then smell it again and tell me if it smells smell a little bit different, if it like opens up. It does. Right? I, yeah. I I smell some like oak, oaky. 
Right? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like just by doing that, because you're getting the oxygen in it, you're swirling it, you're getting more, it like completely opens up the aromas. And then if you let it like, I always decant my wine or my red wine and I, I didn't do it as long as I normally would have. I usually try and do it for like at least an hour, but I wasn't home quick, quick enough to do it for an hour. And that allows the oxygen to get in with the wine and really, especially if you're somebody who drinks Cabernets, it can sometimes have like this bitter flavor. And when you let it decant and let it kind of let the air and the oxygen get to it, it softens the taste so it doesn't taste as bitter. So just a little. Yeah, good to know. Mm. Perfecto. Well, let me go ahead and read your bio and then we will get into the chisme. Karina Mora is a professional photographer, speaker, and podcaster devoted to helping people reclaim their cultural legacies. She elevates her native Mexican culture through photography and recently launched guided trips with her to Mexico. Her podcast, Elevating La Cultura, features stories from first and second generation Latinas who are working hard, pursuing their passions, and pouring their positive efforts and benefits into the next generations. Girl, I'm just saying, like, I love every time I hear somebody, and actually, I mean, that's kind of what the whole podcast is is focused on, right? Is sharing stories, elevating voices. And if we don't do it for ourselves, and mine is more open, mine is across communities of color, but if we do not, make this space, nobody's going to do it for us. Exactly. So I love hearing that. Let me, I want to hear more about you though. Are you for, what are you first generation? Are you second generation? Like what was your kind of childhood like that started planting the seeds to all of these things that you're doing? So my father immigrated to the U.S. from Mexico when he was in his teens, My mother was born here, but her parents are from Texas and her father's from Mexico. For me growing up, like the dynamic of being raised by a father who is an immigrant and a mother who had immigrant parents but was raised here was interesting. So I mentioned that I live in Chicago and I was raised in a Chicago suburb. And so With being raised in a Chicago suburb, I didn't realize it then, but realizing now that I had to assimilate in order to fit in, in order to succeed, in order to move ahead. And it wasn't until I had kids that I realized the assimilation that I that I went through and I didn't want the same experience for my own children. And so that is kind of what got me started thinking about like, how am I going to live my life? How am I going to reclaim my culture for the sake of my kids? I totally get like what you're saying, right? And I feel like there's a lot of times we don't even realize the things we experience as kids until we're adults, because you don't look at it with those eyes. When you're a kid, you're very innocent. You just take things as people tell you at face. You think they're at face value and sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. But what, like, did you grow up in a very Caucasian neighborhood? What kind of like neighborhood did you grow up? And did you ever feel like you were able to be yourself 
Oh, that's a that's a good question. So I grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly white. The school that I went to was predominantly white. And that was for like elementary and middle school. I remember my first language being Spanish. But when I got to school, I had to learn English. And I remember the kids like making fun of me in a way that was like, oh, well, you know how to speak Spanish. So say this and like say this and teach me all these words. But they were doing it in a way that was kind of. I always always kind of equate that like dance, monkey, dance, dance for me, dance for me, show me. Exactly. And so at some point I just refused to speak Spanish. Like I didn't want to be associated with it. I didn't want people asking me. I would end up saying like, I don't know how to speak Spanish. And then they'd be like, well, aren't you Mexican? Like, shouldn't you know how to speak Spanish? And I'm just like, yeah, just I then it's the other way, right? It's never enough. Exactly. You're too much. You're never enough. When did you feel like when that was happening, did you feel like there, it wasn't just kids being curious? Did you feel like you were being mocked in some way? I think so. I don't remember it being like, oh, that's awesome. It more like, ha ha ha. I can't say that or say it again. Or can you say it with your ear accent? I remember whenever Christmas would come around, they would hear Feliz Navidad just being sung to me and directed towards me. Uh, I went to middle school during the time of Macarena when that was like a huge song. And so I remember like, being told these microaggressions like, oh, you should know, you should love this song or you should know how to dance this song or you should teach us how to dance this song. And I was like, look, I'm just a kid trying to make it through school just like you. And so I kind of, when I was in those circles, I shied away from being Mexican. But in my home, I had family in Mexico. We would go to Mexico every year. We'd hang out with my cousins. I would love it. We would invite my family over to spend summers with us. I have memories of my cousins, like spending the summers in our home. And we would just like hang out. We'd go be tourists in Chicago. We would go to Wisconsin Dells. We'd go to Great America. We would just enjoy our family. Then when the school year started, it was back to being in this environment where I had to assimilate in order to fit in. I feel like I was always in the middle, like never fit in with my white peers. Mm -hmm. I didn't have many Latinx friends. The few that I knew, we kind of just were like, okay, this is just how it is. Yeah. And um, then when I, when I got to high school, I kind of just let all those microaggressions kind of bounce off and just didn't say anything at that point. I think the microaggressions were a little bit more directed at me. They were and bolder. When was this? You were when you were in middle school or high school? In high school. And after high school, I was like, I want to get away from this environment. Let me kind of go back really quick. So when you were in high school, you felt like there was these like these aggressions were no longer mi- necessarily microaggressions. They were very uh, they were very direct. Were there people that you talked to? Were you able to talk to your parents, your family? Did you have other Latine friends that you could talk to or maybe that were dealing with the same thing that you guys could support one another and and get through that? Or were you basically the only one? I was 
basically the only one. And it was, I was in an environment where it was very much like I was tokenized for being Mexican American. I remember comments, and this is where we can get into like the cheese part. There were like, I remember comments from an ex-boyfriend's mom that said, like, sat me down and said, like, we'd be okay if you married our son because your your family are the good Mexicans. Ooh, girl, and, I've heard that other times before. Oh, as soon yes. as I hear that, I get hot. Right. And at like 13, 14, like you don't know how to process. And why that. would you tell a 13 and 14 year old that I'm okay with you marrying my son? Because like, first of all, there's a lot wrong with that right why would you like start putting that in a 13 or 14 year old's head that they're you're okay with them marrying their son like that's just weird to begin with right Mm -hmm. but then on top of that you're putting on top of that how much pressure like they don't know like i cannot (laughs) i'm just like are you kidding me yes exactly i remember coming back from mexico and being a little darker than i am now i usually you know, get darker in the summer uh, than I am in the winter. And she made a comment about how I was like three shades darker and she could barely recognize me. And I was like, I literally was just in Mexico hanging out with my family. I'm out in the sun. Like, why are you making me feel bad for just existing in the skin that I'm in? But that just also goes to show you, right? That if she was willing to say that to you in front of your face, to you. Imagine all of the things that her son heard from her and their family when they didn't have somebody in front of them. She was probably censoring herself to a certain extent. You know what I mean? And thinking, oh, well, this part, this stuff is the stuff I can say. And only imagine, I can only imagine the shit she would say when you weren't there. Right. And I... You asked if I had anyone else that I could process with or talk talk to, and I didn't. So I just kind of let those comments happen and then moved on because I had no one else that I felt safe enough to present what had just happened. Even my parents, I think that like being raised in a Latinx home, like you're taught to be be tough, like don't let it get to you. Like move on. You need to be stronger and, um, don't cry. It's fine. Like shake it off. Exactly. And I'm first born. So it was like, I had that pressure already to be the strength in any situation. So I kind of just let comments like that. Like I would chuckle like, haha, okay, thanks. And then move on. That is like so hard, right? Because you're a kid, you don't know, like, how are you supposed to deal with that? And especially if nobody's taught you and nobody's dealt with that with you, that's so crazy. I assume, please keep me honest. You know, I always tell people, I don't want to make assumptions. So let me not say, I assume once you got out of high school, I could only imagine you were like ready to get out of there. Like, get me the hell out of this place. Where did, did you go to college? Did you start working? Like, what was your path? And then let me just first ask, like, what was your path? Where did you go right after, right after high school? I did go to college. I ended up going to a small liberal arts college in the middle of nowhere, Michigan. And I pretty much stepped into the same environment. I was just about to say, like, 
I mean, look, I know that there's a large Latino community in Chicago. You just didn't happen to live in that area. I know that there's a Latino community in Michigan because I actually have friends who lived in Michigan. And apparently it's in a very specific part. I have no idea. And you step into the same situation. Now, I know a lot of times people are like the first time I experienced all these things is when I went to college or whatever. So you didn't even experience anything different. Like, was there anybody else? I mean, I would imagine that there was at least a couple of Latinos that you would have been able to find or like, what was that experience like going from, you think you're, you're leaving this situation, especially in Chicago of all places. Like people don't think that in Chicago, right? They think, oh, Chicago is very diverse, very this, very that. And then you go into this, you step into the same situation in Michigan. How in the heck did you deal with that? I don't think I did. I didn't know anything different. So I just thought that this is how the world operates. I mean, this is back I mean, in... To, to a, I'm not going to lie. To a certain extent, it does. It shouldn't. But to a certain extent, that is how the world operates. Because if we don't step into our power and we don't you know, acknowledge the the strength that we all have collectively, then it will, and it will continue to happen. Exactly. And this was back in like 2004, 2000. So I was in college between 2004 and 2008. These conversations weren't happening as openly as they are now, but I kind of just accepted that things were the way they are. I found my kind of my my social circles were similar but they made me feel okay I guess there were did you feel like you could actually be yourself with this new social circle circle in college or no no I remember so it's not okay girl I might tell you you're like I feel like you're sitting here like it's but it's okay like they made me feel okay no, but if you can't be yourself, it's not okay. And you're here saying like all the things that you're doing and I'm here and I can see why, right? Like, yeah. let me just read something that you had put on there. I When I ask everybody what their why is, right? And you said that your why is rooted in your gratitude to your parents who provided the opportunities you've had in this country and how you strive not to lose that legacy, but pass it on to your children. But it feels like for a very significant portion of your life, the part of your life which forms who you are as an adult. And I think we all do this to some extent, especially if we're not, you know, like I'm not first gen, I'm second gen. But we live to conform, not to confirm who we are, but to conform to what everybody else thinks we are. So it sounds like that's what you did for a very, very long time. I did. And there was, and we're getting to like that pivot point, that one trigger moment after I graduated and was already like working. So I did go through college feeling the same way that I felt through high school, thinking that that was the norm and that it was okay. Like I said, like I felt like I was okay in this group of friends that I was hanging out with. I did. It wasn't until after I was out of that situation that I felt like that was not okay. So I graduated, I moved back to Chicago, and at that point I was married. And when I got married, my husband already had a photography business. And so... So let me ask a question really quick. What ethnicity is your was your husband? He is or white. Is, okay. He is so white, you, white. So I, just, so I just feel like you just kind of immersed yourself in that. Yes. 
Okay. And it is like very complex, like even thinking through it today and why I'm so intentional about passing my cultural legacy on to my kids because because of my upbringing or my childhood or my experiences, I could very easily just slip into like, okay, well, I'm just going to stay comfortable, conform, assimilate, and it'll be easy, easier for my kids. But it was the, it's the hard choice of saying, no, if I don't do something, then the sacrifices that my family made are going to be lost. They're going to be gone with this next generation. Yeah. And not to say that other people don't have sacrifices, right? But I think when you, like for me, my grandparents were very, like my grandpa used to harvest the fields here in Southern California. And there's just a different, like my, you know, my family used to work the land here in Southern California and work agriculture. And I think there's there's just a different sense, right? Of things that you don't want to lose. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and Chisme. Have you heard about the hottest new arrival at Ulta Beauty? Fenty Beauty by Rihanna is now at Ulta Beauty. Learn how to achieve the now coveted Fenty face and this game-changing glow just like Rihanna with the following three easy steps. First, start with light as air foundation for skin that looks like skin all day with Fenty's Easy Drop Blurring Skin Tint. It comes in light to medium coverage, it's hydrating and gives you that soft blur finish. Second, set it off with just the right contour plus highlight with Fenty's Kilowatt Freestyle Highlighter Duo. It's cream to powder and it gives you a show-stopping shimmer. Third, protect your glow from shine anytime, any place with Fenty's Invisimat Blotting Powder. It absorbs shine and diffuses the look of pores. So what are you waiting for? Shop now Fenty Beauty by Rihanna at Ulta Beauty. So what was that pivotal moment that you're like, fuck this? No, I am like, you realize that you continue to conform and you continue to assimilate and you're like, wait, this is not what I want. This is not who I am. And I need to find who I am again. What was that point? It was a wedding a handful of years ago. I think it was 2016. It was a wedding that was on May 5th and the couple was not... Latinx. They weren't Okay, Mexican. I feel like I already know where this is going. Personally, I yes. actually don't say Latinx because to me, I say Latine mm-hmm. because it, it's part of the language. If we technically say X, it would be Latinequis. Yeah. So uh, and that's personally, that, that's what I say. Yes. And I have been trying to be intentional about saying Latine, but I, I should have asked what is preferred on your podcast because some people... I say whatever people are most comfortable saying. I just, that's for me. But, pero la idioma también, mm-hmm. like when you say Latinx, you don't have an accent. When you say Latine, you still have an accent. Like even there, it takes away. Like for me, that's just my personal opinion. So I'm always like, whatever somebody wants to be called, whatever somebody wants to say, that's fine with me. I personally hate the X. I personally, you know, say the E because if you're, if you're saying like, if you, somebody's, non-binary right mm-hmm. and you say ayo ella ella you know say ayo ella ex yeah so that's just how i look at it 
Yes. And I think this is like, this is a great conversation because I have been connecting with people across the country and I've noticed that people like in California and on the West coast say Latin more than people in the Chicago area and on the East coast. So I think that it is a shift that is happening across the country. And that's why it's so confusing for me because I speak with educators and they are using Latin and other industries are still like getting on board with even saying Latinx, like they're yeah. still between Latino, Latina. So, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it's perfect. It's preference. I don't say I'm Latina. I say I'm Latina. Mm-hmm. When I refer, I am, when I refer to the community as a whole, I usually say Latino or Latina. Okay. Yeah. I kind of interchange them, but I think I'm also, you know, but I'm, I'm so for like people being able to identify if like, just if you are he, her, they, them, I, if you want to say Latino, Latina, Latin, la, uh, I, when I say Latinx, it's like, a, like I said, it doesn't roll off the tongue versus Latine. Mm-hmm. Hey, who am I to tell you? I just know what my preference is. Yes. Okay. So continue on. We just took a little detour, but it's okay. We got, we'll get back on the road. That's what happens here. Yeah, so this wedding took place on Cinco de Mayo. And the reason for that was that the couple said that they just liked tequila. And that was it. I had to photograph this wedding during the reception. You know, dollar store sombreros were coming out. There were people dancing around them. Anyone who had a speech was wearing one. And I had to take pictures. I couldn't do anything. I had to smile. I had to just kind of endure it. And it was after that wedding that I was, I was like, no, I can't do this. I they were can't. using the culture as a costume. Yes. And I had to ask myself, like, is this like, first of all, how did I get here that I am having my culture appropriated right in front of me as if it's nothing like they can see my face. They were comfortable. They were they comfortable were- doing it. Exactly. They were comfortable. So I had to ask myself first, like, how did I get here? What caused like this whole moment to happen? And I had to ask myself, is this how I want to be seen? Like, is this how I want my children to see me, to see my culture, our culture appropriated and for us to just be like, oh yeah, that's fine. Wow. That is, yeah, I'm glad I'm not a photographer. Because I have too much attitude sometimes. And I probably would have been like, you know what? I don't need this money that bad. Bye. Yeah, it's it's hard. You know, but I know you have, you sign contracts. You do all yeah. of these things. So, oh God, I can't, I cannot even imagine that. So what was the, like when you decided, can I ask if you were still married at that time or not? Yes, I was. I mean, I am still married. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> well, you said he was, and I was like, I'm sorry, oh, maybe yeah. she's not. So was this something that you discussed with your husband? Yes. And what he, was the first words you said to him? Well, during the wedding, we kind of just were looking at each other like, oh my goodness, is this really happening? He was actually more upset than I was in the moment because I had endured this all my life. But this was the first time that he was witnessing me endure this and he couldn't do anything either. 
Yeah. Well, girl, I was about to say, if he didn't have a reaction, you <laughs> then there's a problem there, right? Or if he was yeah. like, okay with that. How have you talked to your kids about about their culture and about the things like things that you never felt like you could talk to your parents with, right? Like you never felt like you could go and tell them what's going on. I'm sure you've made a very conscious effort because I feel like every generation had like makes the effort to do the things that they wish they had, right? Whether it's being more loving or showing more affection or having more open conversations for you and knowing the things that you've gone through. How have you talked to your kids? Because first of all, let me ask, are your because you're light skinned Latina, I'm a light skinned Latina. Are your kids white passing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're obviously not going to, and they probably have a white last name since your husband's white. Yes. Same with my my nephews. I get it. So they're they're not gonna have the same experience at all as you had. But have you had the conversations about what is okay and what isn't okay and why it matters even though they're white passing? And have you started having those conversations with your kids? For sure. My kids are, their birthdays are coming up. So they're going to be 11. My daughter's going to be 11. My son's going to be nine. So they understand all of this. I've talked to them about experiences that I've had. My daughter, even though she is white passing. She has a lighter complexion than even I do. She has dark hair, dark eyes, darker features. And it just so happens that she is in an environment because of her extracurriculars where it is a very predominantly white school that she goes to uh, for ballet. And she has had people say microaggressive comments to her And she has stood up for herself. And that is because I've been talking about the comments that have been made to me, the comments that she might have heard from someone else. And we talk about like, how do you think that made that person feel? Or do you think that was right? Was that the best way to say that? How can you then like stand up for your friend? How can you stand up for yourself? She's very much unapologetically proud of being Mexican-American. We go to Mexico. She knows her family in Mexico. She takes Spanish classes. Her name, her first name is in Spanish. So is my son's name pronounced in Spanish. And I talk to them about saying like, okay, well, if someone pronounces your name incorrectly, you can tell them. Say like, this is, yes. And so I am equipping my children with the vocabulary that I didn't have. No, that's awesome because we have to, If you can, there's these complicated like German names or these European names that are very complicated and everybody can seem to figure out how to say those names. But when it comes to our names, oftentimes they're like, um, what, huh? I don't know. So I'm glad that you've told them like, correct them. This is how your name is. This is how you say your name. And if somebody doesn't say it right, correct them. That's the only way, right? That people will start learning. Cause my last name is, I have a two part last name, but um, everybody would say Yanez, Yanez. And I'm, and at first for a long time, I didn't correct them. And now I'm like, no, it's Yanez. My last name is Yanez. It's not Yanez. And I have a friend, Pam, her, her last name is Covarubias. And she will, she's like, it's Covarubias. It's not Covarubias, it's Covarubias. And she will like, yesterday I was, I, or actually recently I was being, interviewed for another podcast and 
I literally had to walk. He, I was like, it's Yangus. And he was like, Yane, like he, the gentleman couldn't pronounce it. And I was like, yawn, like you're going to yawn, yawn, yes, yawn, yes. Like, I'm, it's not hard if you're willing. And he got it and he was fine. But he was like, no, no, no. Thank you for correcting me. I want to say it correct. But there's a lot of people that won't. And if we don't do it for our, you know, if we don't stand up for ourselves, people will continue to be able to think that's okay. So how do you now, how do you use your photography to help others bring their culture, like to really amplify who they are within their culture, to help them? Because I know you do photography, but how do you bring that into a Latina who's hiring you to not, maybe they're just like, look, I'm a person, I'm Latina, but I'm a person, but I still have that in me. How do you make those balances? How do you work with somebody to really bring their Latinidad forward, but not letting that be the only thing that defines them? Because images are very, very powerful. And you can say a lot with an image that you can't and evoke feeling from an image that necessarily you won't get any other way. So how do you work with people to be able to do those things? Well, after this wedding, I kind of had to go on a journey to ask myself the hard questions. And actually I booked a trip to Mexico where I wasn't visiting family. I wasn't like relaxing on the beach. I was going into a town and I just happened to be taking a photography workshop in this town. But that is really where I started using my photography to document Mexican cities that go beyond the stereotypes of piñatas and beaches and spring break and Mm -hmm. all of the cliche Mexican things that people think of when they think of Mexico. Mm -hmm. I started uh, with one town. I went to go visit. I took pictures and I started sharing on my Instagram and I was started sharing with people what I was doing, saying like, hey, I'm Mexican-American. I'm working to reclaim my culture and I'm going to take you along as I learn who I am. So with each time that I went to Mexico, it was just being intentional about learning and connecting with people there that I could actually learn how to make tortillas or mole or salsas or pan dulce. I was... Mm, girl, I was in Oaxaca. Mole, 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 mole. Mucho mole. It was awesome. Yes. And I want to hear, continue to hear this, but I just, this thought came in my head. I know at a point you would tell people you don't speak Spanish. Do you, did you purposely, like, I know people who purposely stopped speaking Spanish and lost their Spanish. Did you purposely stop speaking Spanish or do you still speak Spanish? I speak Spanish when I'm in Mexico and it's to get by. <laughs> so I, I get and it. it was confusing too, because when I was in Mexico with my family, because I wasn't like, I, I didn't speak like I was from Mexico. They would say like, okay, don't say anything. So that way, like you don't mess up and embarrass us. So I was having, wait, like, who was telling you that my mom, but my how dad. are you going to get better if you don't speak it? Exactly. So I was getting mixed messages from both sides. So uh, it, it was so confusing. And then my father would make fun of me because I didn't speak Spanish. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do here. So yes, I can speak Spanish. I can get by. I mean, I, I speak it with an accent and there are some times that I get tripped up, but 
I think I am at this point willing to make mistakes and be corrected when I do speak Spanish. That's what you have to do. Spanish is not my first language. And I was in Oaxaca and I, yeah, I mean, I can have a conversation. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be whatever, but I have no, like, I can still get through. I can still get by. And, but that's the only way, right? Is if you put it out there and yeah, it may not be perfect, but people also appreciate when you try, right? So do you mostly do like landscape type photography or do you do, do you work with people and help bring out, like help them accentuate the things that they want to do? Or is it strictly like landscape and I don't know all the types of photography, so please excuse me. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, do you do landscape? And you're like, honey, I do a lot more than that. <laughs> no, Stop it's watering down what I do. <laughs> no, so I did... And I have shifted out of wedding photography. I still have my clients here in the Chicago area where they'll ask me to do family photos or I work with some companies to do uh, like headshots and, and things like that. But when I travel to Mexico, I do more landscape photography. I take pictures of buildings, the architecture, um, the earth. And when I post those photos, I tell the story of the specific photo of the specific town of what is happening. I went to Oaxaca in 2019 with my sister and my cousin for Day of the Dead. And I was documenting. That was the first time I had been in Mexico during that time. And it was so special and so beautiful. And so I was documenting and sharing. So it, it's more of maybe photojournalism as what I would do got because it. I am telling the story. So alongside I'm really the image. Got it. Got no, that sounds amazing. I really want to go to Mexico for Dia de los Muertos because my birthday is November 2nd, Dia de los Muertos. So, you know, I've always had obviously a very special connection to that day. But I've never been like I literally went to San Miguel de Allende a couple days after. So they still had like papel picado up and they still were doing some stuff over there. But I want to be like there on the day on my birthday. Um, I just think that would be rad. So you talk about helping others reclaim their legacy. Can you tell me how like how you're doing that and what you're working on. And then I know you also do, you're doing guided trips to Mexico as well. Is that how you are helping people reclaim their legacy? Like kind of walk me through that. Yes. So the guided trips that I just launched is one piece of that. So I have had this vision, this dream for a few years and have had to put everything on hold because of the pandemic. Because traveling wasn't a thing in two years ago, everything stopped. And so I recently launched guided trips. And so what that means is that I curate a trip to Mexico. Specifically, this one is going to be in Mexico City. I curate, meaning that I am planning the workshops that I've taken. I'm connecting you with the people that I've connected with to teach about the history where we might be learning about textiles. We might be going to see the pyramids in Teotihuacan. We might go to Xochimilco. Like we are experiencing Mexico and it's beautiful to just be in Mexico, 
But then I take it a step further and we talk about your past experiences, why this trip is important. Uh, We talk about how you're going to take what happened in Mexico and take it home with you because that's, that's the thing. Like we, I want to be able to empower people to remember memories they've had, or um, just feel empowered to be able to make conchas in their own kitchen, to be empowered, to make, to learn about nopales and make tortillas in their own kitchen, and then hopefully be empowered to travel themselves and maybe bring their families along with them. I know you said your kids have gone to Mexico. What has been their experience? Like when you took your husband for the first time and when you take your kids, how do you feel like your family perceives them? And how do you think, because obviously they're the only ones who know like what they feel. What have they conveyed to you in regards to what they feel, what your kids feel, when your husband feels when they go with you to Mexico and they're with their family and they're immersed in all of that? It really is beautiful to see my kids enjoying their time in Mexico. We had in the past gone every, like around every Easter. So like spring break type trip, we would go to Guadalajara, which is where my family is. They would get to spend time with their cousins. They would get, we'd spend a few days, like we'd we'd drive to Puerto Vallarta and spend a few days relaxing. And then the last time they had gone to Mexico was 2019. And through the pandemic, I could really see their desire to return to Mexico. And they would say things like, are we ever going to go to Mexico again? Will we ever see our cousins again? And I, I didn't have the answers because, I mean, nobody knew what was happening with COVID and nobody knew what was happening with travel and things just were not secure. And so this last Christmas, we spent two weeks in Mexico, spent a week in Oaxaca, actually. And it was really great seeing their faces in Oaxaca since they had seen my photos from Oaxaca, they have heard me talk about the people that I connected with, the tours that I took. They were able to, in their minds, like take what they knew from Oaxaca and actually like live it out. And they expressed that it was the best time of their lives. They did this cooking class and they said that that was a favorite their most favorite part of the whole trip. They aren't afraid to eat chapulines, gusanos. Oh, um, so good. Yes. And I wait, was so people proud. People don't know. I mean, I think, I mean, a majority of my listeners are Latine, <laughs> Latinx. <laughs> but I do have other listeners. And if you don't know what chapulines is, it's grasshopper. <laughs> it's cricket. I'm sorry, cricket. Yeah, crickets, crickets. And gusano is like crickets. a worm. So, but they're so good. I think we had like the chipotle ones or something like that, or the chipotle limon. Oh my gosh, they were so delicious. And you, I mean, you don't even know that's what it is when you're tasting it. Like if you look at it, you're like, oh, but when you taste it, just be open-minded, right? You just got to be open-minded. Yes. And you know, it's a funny story because my kids didn't even realize that my husband wasn't Mexican when they were younger. Yes. Because I cooked Mexican food at that time. I was like learning how to make Mexican meals. My husband was very much like 
let me learn how to do this alongside you. Uh, I was speaking to them in Spanglish. I was being intentional about teaching them Spanish. They had Spanish class. And so they didn't, when I, when I told them that their father was white, they were shocked. <laughs> and I was like, how are you shocked? But I realized that it was like, I didn't say that he was white or from right. a different, like all they knew was Mexican culture. Right. So now, so what is next for you now that you've started, have you, have you already taken people on these journeys, on these guided trips? Like what is, and oh, actually, I'm sorry. Before, before we hit we that, hit. you also have a podcast called yes. Elevating La Cultura. And I was looking at it and I got to listen to like, but it's what I really noticed. Like mine is very like, it could vary week to week, right? And I don't really do seasons. I just kind of continuously go. But you have seasons and each season focuses like on a different subject. So like your very first season focused on health and wellness. Your second season focused on education. Like, I, I really like that, that you're able to do that. It's too late for me. I'm already 100 plus episodes in and we just do how we do, right? Just happens. So how do you navigate that? Like, how do you figure out what, first of all, what's this next season, season three going to be? I think it's creati creativity, right? Something like that. Yeah. So we're actually on season four and I'm going to be talking with Latina creatives. Well, I'll come on, girl, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I am I'm always in politics. Looking. I work in my whole job is social media and I have a podcast. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. So I create these seasons so that we can really dive into the specific topic. So we are like working through things that we have been told from our childhood, from the past, from people and shifting the narrative so that way we can empower the next generation. So for example, like the creative industry isn't really looked on as like, oh, you can make a ton of money or like that is going to make you successful. We have been told that we should like go to school to focus on a job that might help us to be financially stable. And so the arts isn't really looked at as a serious career. And so I we think, are... Tell me, I mean, let me know if you agree. I think this pandemic has shown us that there's no such thing as stability anymore. Yes, exactly. And so like we get into it in the episodes. Like I asked, like, what have you been told about your industry? Like being creative, how did you work past that when you went to school? How does that affect your work now? Like what limiting beliefs have you had to work through to get to the place that you're at now? And we're talking about this shift in what success means yeah. because yes, the pandemic like totally threw everything to the wind and was like, everything you thought is wrong. No. Yeah, I know. It's so crazy. Um, my parents don't because, you know, my, I got a degree in public relations and everything that I've been doing is in communications. My parents have no idea what I do. Uh, they know I have a podcast so if you were like, what does she do? She's like, oh, well, Jay has a podcast. And now that I work for in politics, they're like, she works here, but they have a zero idea of what I do because technically everything I do is considered creative, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hilarious to hear my mom's. I'm like, what do you tell people I do? Oh, I tell them you work for a council member. I don't know. Like 
She has no clue. I've literally had to show my parents a portfolio of my work so they understood, like, I wrote this. See this, how this news article is in here? It's because I wrote this to get it in here. And But they are so old, like... My parents liked it. They're not as old school as some parents could be, right? Since they're first gen. But they're not as like cool. Like they're not as up to date as they think they are sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I will make sure that we have the link to the podcast in there so people can check it out as well. But if and now with these guided tours to Mexico, like if people are interested in those, how can they reach you? How can they get in touch with you? Like what is that process? Yeah. So for the guided tours, all the information is on my website, carinamora.com. And when I approach the guided tours, uh, the first step is to submit like an application and set up a time with me to get on a Zoom call and allow me to kind of walk them through what to expect. Because I like anyone can come on this trip with me. If they have an open mind to learn, this is not going to be like an Instagram trip. This is going to be like, we're going to be having hard conversations. We want to respect everyone. I'm creating a safe space for those who come with me. So if you can be open-minded, respectful, and appreciative for being in Mexico, then yes, you can come. So that is the first step. Get on a meeting with me. I walk you through what to expect. And then, uh, we start preparing for Mexico. So I have, this is the first trip that I'm inviting people that I might not know. So I've been planning these trips for years for my friends, for my family. I like to travel with my father. And so I plan trips. I plan so many trips for people that I know. I'm just taking it to another level, inviting my following to join me if they would like. So, yes, all the information is on my website, garinamora.com. And we'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well. I do have one kind of last question in regards to, like, your kids. I just think I, I find it so interesting of all of the things that you went through. And it makes me really happy that you've ex- like you've shared your experiences with your kids to let them know. And it's kind of given them the courage to stand up for themselves, right? But what is the legacy that you hope that you hope to pass on to your children that you hope that they will take with them and pass on even more? I think that I strive to, I really want them to be proud of being Mexican. I think back to the the time when I was younger and in school and I just didn't want any part of it. I didn't want people telling me like, oh, you smell like a Mexican restaurant. I didn't want people telling me like, oh, that means you smell good, girl. (laughs) Yes. Well, I mean, I like it now, but back then it wasn't said like in a nice way. So I want them to grow up, be knowing who they are as um, grandchildren of an immigrant, to know the sacrifice that was made for them and to also be able to stand up for themselves and for others. I think that things are are becoming more diverse. Like I want them to have the language to celebrate diversity in every area of their lives. And I want them to be able to have the language to stand up for circles that might not be diverse and to have the language to say like, hey, why don't we think about things differently 
And that is what my husband and I both are doing in what we do. So that is a legacy that I that I hope to pass on, that the work that I'm doing now in myself to heal, to look back and move past the assimilation that I went to, to pass on the traditions of the Mexican culture, that they would see the importance of that and then pass that on to their children too. So I lied. I do have one more question. (laughs) Because your kids, although they're Mexican-American, you say they're white passing. Do they, have you talked to them about the privilege that they have based, like, not only of of people who are, like, indigenous, who Afro-Latinos, other, you know, people who are just, who are Black in America, like, just anybody that has darker skin, right? They could be South Asian, they could be Vietnamese, they can, you know, like, there's all of these different things. But have you talked to them about, the privilege that comes with having or being white passing or having lighter skin and how, because obviously we are lighter complected people. Like I know I'm like complected Latina. I think as soon as I open my mouth, the way I say things, people are like already know, or my big curly hair or something like people know that doesn't mean that I still don't have privilege. And that doesn't mean that I don't take that seriously and understand that and know what that means and do the best that I can do in order to continue to amplify stories and continue to say, look, this is not for me. This is for somebody else, like those opportunities and recognizing that. Is that something that you have discussed with your kids? And is that, and what has their response been? And in the same with your husband? Yes, for sure. I'm very open about talking about these issues. I wanted to start these conversations early because I didn't have that when I was younger. Uh, I think the past two years especially have given us a lot of opportunities to talk about social justice and the realities of people who have darker skin than us in this country. So that has brought up several conversations, including their privilege by being light-skinned having light skin. The first time that I brought it up, they didn't realize that they had lighter skin. They, in their minds, I mean, this was a few years ago, so they were younger, but in their minds, they were Mexican. And so they didn't understand at that age, the differences of privilege that there are for people with different skin colors. So when I said, and I pointed out like, your skin is lighter than mine. It is darker than your father's, but it's lighter than mine. So that means that people will treat you differently than they treated me, or they will treat you differently than they treat these people that you know that have darker skin. It was like, they were trying to process all of it. And I was trying not to be overwhelming with them. I think that's a question that I get a lot. Like, how do you address these conversations with kids? And like, when is an appropriate time to start having these conversations? And I don't usually put an age on it as like, as soon as they can understand and see, like understand what's happening in the world, you can talk about it. If I was experiencing these issues at like six years old, then you can talk to your children about it at that age as well. And not everyone agrees. 
But in my opinion, like I have always been upfront about the reality of American history, the reality of, of Mexican American history and history of this whole world in general mm-hmm. from a young age. So my kids knew the less watered down version of how this country started. And they were already having the language to say it to other people. So yes, we started having deeper conversations about their privilege, my privilege, um, as opposed to like my father's and how he had to, what he had to work through. My father is darker, has darker skin than I do. My mother has Uh, lighter skin than him so like we talked about the different complexions that are just within our families yeah um and so I think the first step is just to bring awareness like I was raised in this very colorblind colorblind mentality and that's why I allowed things to happen I allowed comments to be made to me and just let it yeah, and that's the thing. There's no such thing as colorblind. Like if you say it's exactly. colorblind, you're full of shit because you're just, you always see it, but you're going to see more, you know, you're going to have a bias towards one versus the other. And it, it's it's okay to see color. We should appreciate color. We should appreciate our differences. We should appreciate different cultures. But when you say you're colorblind, you're erasing mm-hmm. people, you know, you're erasing the experiences that other people have. Exactly. And so like I make a purpose to not do that to my children because I'm still healing from what the comments that were made to me when I was younger and having to process how we as this generation are healing while we're trying to teach the next generation. And that is so hard. Like it's complex. (laughs) We're like in between two generations. I mean, it is hard work, but it is necessary. Well, I want to make sure if there's anything I didn't give you the opportunity to share that you have, you have that opportunity to do so, but also I want to make sure you have the opportunity to share your, your social media so people can follow you. And we will always have, we always link everything on the show notes as well. But is there anything else you want to add before we end our conversation? No, I'm very thankful for the opportunity. I think the more that we're having conversations like these, the more normalized it will be to heal and empower the next generation to be stronger and more empathetic. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Well, like I said, mi gente, all of the links will be in the show notes. But until next time, saludos. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.